this morning we're going to be talking about planning and preparation. And so probably a very critical skill in life is being able to plan and prepare. Critical skill in life. And some people, as soon as you say that, maybe they even cringe a little bit because that's just not their normal MO or, or way of doing things is really planning a lot uh, and preparing a lot. And for some people, they say, yeah, you know, I'm good at that. I make it kind of a priority and it's something I focus on to do. And then probably most people, probably somewhere in the middle, they realize some things are important to plan for and prepare for and they try and do the best that they can, you know, when they can do it. Um, but having that ability to plan and prepare for things, that's a critical discipline in life and it's really going to save you from a lot of headache, possible aggravation because the idea is you try and handle some things beforehand so we get a little bit better when you're in the situation. Now, no matter all the planning in the world, there still are things that come up that are accidents, that are mistakes, and that you, know, you can't really plan for. Uh, but there are some things you know, that you can plan for and that you should take advantage of and um, try and put yourself in the best possible situation so that when you get into the situation, you're actually in the, in the middle of it, you're like, oh yeah, I prepared for it back then, I read about this, I hung around these people, I tried to surround myself uh, with ways that would help me. And I think uh, on the first thing, first slide here, you know, just a funny cartoon just to look at, just based on some of my job background, kind of through uh, the college years and high school years, we always get to the job site and he was trying to take inventory before you get there to be prepared for that day so you get a lot done. Because uh, the worst thing is you get to the job site and you forget some things then you got to spend half the morning running around trying to find things and you know it's just not productive as a day and so you know being prepared I thought you were bringing the paint you know and then you start to blame and point the finger at somebody when uh, the plans and preparation don't go the way that you intended it to go but uh, when God is involved in the planning process and in the preparation process there's just a little bit different dynamic that's involved there because like you know everything's in the palm of his hand he controls everything when it's on us it's uh it's kind of dependent on how we want to react to the situation and we all get put in different situations in life as far as planning and preparing you know when you're younger and uh we'll say young adulthood so i remember that from uh that one just comes fresh to my mind you know at that point in time i remember i wanted to prepare and train to be a good husband. So it was important to me that like, I, I prepare and train then uh, to surround myself and get myself around things that make good husbands. So hang around good husbands, go to like prayer meetings, hang out with people I thought were godly men and try and absorb some wisdom from them, plug myself into the books and just, it will help, right? It's not going to make me perfect eventually when I get there, but it'll help. You know, and then so then you get married and um, now we're, uh, you get in the stage to start maybe thinking about and preparing and planning uh, for a future with some young ones, with some kids. Um, and so I left out, you know, we have a little thing up here. One thing I didn't put in the announcements is, uh, you know, we wanted to share with everybody uh, that we found out that's a little Murphy, another little Bambino, Bambina, I don't know, in the, in the Murphy family. So uh, just look at that, huh? So it's pretty neat. So at that point in time right there, that's at uh, nine weeks. And, you know, happy to say and happy to report that uh, it's, everything's healthy and looks good so far. We just had another appointment this past week. We just uh, passed like the 12 and a half week mark. 
And so that was like, you know, that was our mark to where now we can share it with people and tell everybody. And because we've just been wanting to just tell everyone and get it out there. And we wanted to share it with you guys. So uh, when you see Julie uh, downstairs, when she comes on up here, give her a hug, give her a squeeze. And also keep us in prayer, you know, just because of a whole other new adventure in our life going on. And so for us, you know, preparing and preparation and planning, you know, falls into that. And so now and then even prior to this, um, just talking with uh, other parents and just trying to get as much info as we can and even beforehand just trying to hang around with kids and just being involved with them and picking them up and changing their diapers, you know, and doing all that stuff and getting prepared. And then we'll be in the position where they're going to get older um, and we'll have to prepare, you know, for schooling issues and it's just, it's just never ends. It's just always a process where you're just always trying to get yourself in the right position. And you know, you want to try and take care of things on the front end so that way on the back end you're not just bombarded. And maybe you can save yourself from some mistakes. And maybe even save yourself from some hurt in the process or possibly even hurt, hurting somebody else. When God's involved in the planning process and he wants to be, uh, I don't know, really aggressive about it and he really wants to c take control of it, he has that ability to do that. And so sometimes he can just freeze us and pause us and say, no, you're going to handle this thing right now and deal with it. Or sometimes we can put it off, you know, and just kind of procrastinate and then maybe kind of do some, somewhat of a decent job. But sometimes God is like, no, we're going to take care of this thing. And so we're going to talk about that today on how God does that because he's going to do it uh, with Saul of Tarsus who eventually becomes Paul. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 9 and we're going to pick up in verse 19. And last week, this fun last week, it was about Saul of Tarsus, his conversion. He was on the road, and, and it's a story really of a guy who was highly educated. He was religious. Like he was religious. He knew the Bible. He was with the right people. He dressed it. He, he was in the right circles like he had. It was a part of his life. He was very religious. And he was enthusiastic about it. He had zeal for it. But he missed the boat entirely. He missed the boat entirely. He, he, just, he was religious, but he missed the boat. How, how could that happen? Um, because he missed the real part about the relationship with God instead of just following all these rules. He was just caught up in following the rules and looking the part and playing the part and making sure you looked like this great Christian kind of person uh, instead of really having a real heart relationship, you know, with God. So he's on the road and he's actually out there to persecute Christians, to put them in jail. Uh, the people of the way, they weren't even called Christians yet. They were called of the way. These people were the way. They are part of the way. And that's kind of the way they were known before they were Christians. We won't find out until later on in Acts, that's when they are actually called Christians. So these people that were of the way, he's going around to persecute them and put them in jail and get them to stop. And so it's an incredible story of, some, of someone who was, you know, conformed on the outside, but he was never really transformed on the inside. But then on the road, God meets him, knocks him off the horse, the horse and he says, why are you persecuting me? And then in this particular case, it's a transformation of Saul of Tarsus that happens in an instant, from the inside out. And when God changes you from the inside out, there's nothing that can hold you back. And it just becomes evident immediately right away. When God, when you've had a real encounter with God and he's working on you from the inside out, it just comes out in your behaviors, it comes out in your talk, uh, and comes out in the, in the things that you do. And we're going to pick up on that today in verse 19. 
And so it says in verse 19, it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And so we pick up in the story where basically when he got knocked off the horse, he had the scales on his eyes, and God brought this other guy, Ananias, in to the scene to pray with Saul of Tarsus and had the scales removed from his eyes. Uh, and they're there together, it says in verse 19, with the disciples in Damascus. And you got to wonder what kind of a situation maybe that was. Like Saul of Tarsus, the guy that was really the big Christian bully back then, and the guy throwing him in jail and persecuting them. And then he's sitting there with the disciples. And I imagine if you're there, that must be quite the story time. You know, that must be quite the story time, sitting out with Saul of Tarsus, and he's telling about, you know, what people are thinking about the way, and his experiences with the way, and these people of the way, and, and the disciples are talking about Jesus, and their stories, and their situations, like, I was, it would have been cool to sit there and talk about that stuff, and then they were talking about the road, and, you know, God knocking off the horse and talking to him, like, that must have been a really cool scene and situation, and they accepted him like a brother, you know, kind of right away which is pretty amazing, because they were hesitant at first, but God told them, hey, this is, this is uh, my chosen one, really, before the Gentiles to spread, to spread the gospel and spread the church. So they're sitting there in verse 19 and verse 20. It says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we talked about before that, when you have an encounter with God, he transformed me from the inside out, and it happened to be for Saul of Tarsus, that happened right away. Some people, it takes a little bit of time, but man, it, God got a hold of him and worked with him right away, and he couldn't, there's no holding him back. He was just, I need to get into the game right now. What can I do? Where can I go? Where can I serve? Who can I talk to? They have to know about this stuff. And so he didn't stop. He said, once again, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That was his message. That's the message to the Jews because they're looking for the Messiah, they're looking to see who the Savior is. And he's saying, this Jesus, that was him. You might have missed it. He was on the tree. All this stuff happened. And all the other people in the religious faith will have you believe that it's not the Messiah. But I'm telling you that it is. And that was his message. That's what he was telling everybody. And as you can imagine, the other people are like, in verse 21, it says, All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem and among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? So now they're confused. Like, we know about this guy. He was the one that went around, put him in jail, persecuted them. And what is going on here? And now all of a sudden his message has changed. And there's something different about him. And like, what is going on here? Is he like doing this to trick us? You know, what is going on? And verse 22 says, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And so Saul of Tarsus, who was very well educated, we see right here, right now, that he really knew about, at, that t- at their time, their Bible, right? The Old Testament. He knew it. He knew it well, but missed the boat for a long time. But now he's just been completed. Because now he has the knowledge and revelation, really, from Jesus about how all this stuff fits together. Like, he had the missing piece finally installed now. And so now this guy is powerful. And so now he's going and talking with people and really baffling them. And it's like, wow, it's being opened up and explained to them in a way that makes sense. And they just baffled by it. Just trying to figure it out. Uh, on the map here, I see that we, we have it up here. Um... Basically, he was from, if you kind of see at the top, we'll come back to the map in a minute, but he was from way up there in Tarsus. Jerusalem is way down here. Right? He was on that road to Damascus. We talked about this stuff before, and we'll, we'll kind of see what all that desert stuff is about. But all the action kind of happens here, and 
You know, he's pretty, uh, he's from far away in Tarsus, and that's going to be significant uh, in a minute, and, and we'll get to that point uh, in a minute here. But basically, all the people are there, they're baffled, and it says, after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. So he have eventually angered some people too, right? The title of uh, the message is Revival or Revolt. We're going to see that this is kind of a pattern. As soon as Saul of Tarsus steps on the scene, there's usually a revival, or miracles are being done, lives are being transformed, or people are really mad and angry to the point where they just want to kill this guy. So it's just like one extreme, one way or the other. And, you know, a lot of times when the message of Jesus Christ kind of goes out, it's kind of what happens a lot of times. It's just, he doesn't leave room for middle ground. I mean... So he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, there's just no, no middle ground on that. So they want to kill him. So in verse 24, it says, But Saul learned of their plan. It says, Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And I think on the next slide here we got a picture kind of, you know, what it might look like as far as them at night trying to lower him in a basket and, you know, he's trying to escape. Trying to picture that in my head, you know. Trying to put some guy in a basket lowering him down outside the wall and so he can get out of there. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So basically he escaped where he was in Damascus then he goes to Jerusalem. It says, and he tried to join the disciples. But they were afraid of him. They're like, no, 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 we know who you are, and no, we don't want you here. It says, not believing that he really was a disciple. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So Barnabas comes back on the scene, and you might remember Barnabas. He was there before. He was a guy that offered stuff, uh, a field, really, and put it at the apostles' feet and gave it to him. And the nickname for him was Son of Encouragement. And we saw him before. That was kind of the nickname. That was kind of the way he treated people. That's the way he acted around people. He just was encouraged people. So Barnabas steps on the season and says, He took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. So as soon as Barnabas kind of vouches for him, they kind of take him in when they work with him. And verse 29 says, He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. But they tried to kill him. Right? Here we go. Another revival or revolt. It says, When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And so when this happens again, again, we come back to that map. If we can take a look back at that again. You know, they took him and they sent him all the way back up to Tarsus again. And they said, listen, this is not working out right now. Things are just getting difficult. Everywhere, everywhere you seem to show up, there seems to be a problem. We've got to deal with it. And so why don't you just go take off for a while? Why don't you take off for a while? And when he took off, in verse 31, it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. And so as soon as he takes off, it seems like the church just kind of comes together, kind of grows, and it seems that it's doing better. Not necessarily just because it's a time of peace, right? Because maybe they just uh, are being complacent. But it says that they're actually growing too, and they're being encouraged by the Spirit. So good things are happening at this point in time. And you might say, well, why? You know, is getting rid of the salt of Tarsus really the key? Well, there's more to the story. And if you could keep your finger right there in Acts, there's a really important part that we've got to pick up on 
uh, that really is going to add a whole other dimension as to what we're talking about and what's really going on. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to Galatians. So you got to go back a few books after 2 Corinthians. And really, this Galatians part kind of fits in in the book of Acts right after like verse 25, right before 26. It's kind of that time period. So that time, basically the first time, where there's like the little revolt and they had to let them down through the basket and the wall that we saw up there. So right after that, that's kind of where some of this stuff in Galatians is happening. And the only reason I bring you over there uh, is because it's really part of the story and we really kind of have to get the context to really understand what's going on because we're going to spend some time with this. So we're in chapter 1 in Galatians, and if you go down to verse 11. Verse 11. I would have put it up here, but it was kind of long. It didn't really all fit. So it says in verse 11, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Amazing. So it's like he received the gospel and this like revelation stuff from Jesus Christ himself. That'll give you some credentials. So in verse 13 it says, For you have heard of my way, my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. It was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, and it was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, for I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So it says, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him fifteen days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James and the Lord's brother. And then after that, it kind of tells, tells about the rest of his story. So basically, in summary, here's kind of what it says. So between verse 25 and 26, he gets lowered through the wall. He takes off. Where does he go? He goes, and if you remember on that map, Arabia was in the desert of this. So he takes off to Arabia kind of on his own initiative. He goes off and just goes out there. And so you got to wonder, what the, how would he do that? He just like took off running the wrong direction. Was he scared? Was something going on? I don't know, maybe. But it says that he goes out there, and it's really just a time of preparation for him. For three years he was there. It says, and then he came to Jerusalem. So he had to actually go out in the desert, being alone with God. And what happened when he was alone with God in that desert and during that time? Well, it said that, he got the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like he just, God was just teaching him and just showing him things. I mean, in the bottom line, he was just preparing him and training him up for what Saul of Tarsus, Paul, would eventually be involved in. He was training him. It was an absolutely needed and critical point in time. For St. Paul, he needed to have that time. And so then after that three years, he comes back, right, to Jerusalem. Right, and Barnabas kind of vouches for him. And he says, yes, this guy, he's really with us. This is, uh, he's the real deal. He really did change. And they say, well, okay. So then he comes back. And it kind of seems like not much has changed. Right? The revolt happens again. He seems to like keep hitting like this brick wall kind of, like, kind of getting stuck. So the brothers are like, listen, just take off and get out of here. And so they sent him all the way back up to Tarsus. And what happens is he stays at Tarsus. Most scholars, kind of biblical people, think that at least around 10 years he's up there. 10 years. 
10 years. So that's like three years in the desert. Then right after that, 10 years. That's like 13 years. God is just molding, preparing, and training this guy. And we won't hear again from Paul in Acts until later on. Now the story will kind of shift back to Peter and all the stuff that he was doing. You remember he started off in the book of Acts. So we won't hear again really from Paul for a while. But it was essential that he had to be in that desert and go up to Tarsus and be trained and kind of worked on by God. And you see that's kind of a pattern in the Bible. God does that with people. And you remember Abraham. God told him to leave and go to a certain place. And he was going to go there. And he also told him, you're going to go there and worship me and your, and your descendants will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And they didn't even have any kids and his wife is barren. You know, and so she laughs. You know? And it didn't come really to fruition until around 20 years later. I remember Joseph was given these dreams and his brothers were mad at him and he would tell them about it. Sold him into slavery. I mean, he ended up being second in command in Egypt to also around another 20 year period. You have David who was like the greatest king in the Old Testament, most revered. He was anointed at 16, 17 years old maybe. As a boy, you know, out with the, the flock taking care of the sheep. And then he was on the run for the next 10 to 15 years or so before that anointing of Samuel, you know, in his house there ever came to fruition. And so God seems to do that with people, just prepare us, train us, work us, bring us up. And so when God is involved in the training process and the preparation process, and you need something to get done and really needs his people to be in the right mindset and to really be prepared, it's some serious business. But then afterwards, man, I really see what God can do through that person. So the question is, you know, what can we do with some of this stuff? How can we actually apply some of that, you know, in 2011? Because, um, you know, what is God really preparing us for do, training us to do? And uh, for a lot of our lives, you know, we're going to grow up, we're going to have kids, we're going to be involved with families, and how many of us are going to go all over the place and do some of these, you know, radical things, and, you know, there, there's no really kings anymore, and uh, things are just a little bit different, you know, so how can we really put this into practice and put it into play? Um, I think one thing we can tell from the passage is that eagerness without preparation can be dangerous. And it's usually frustrating. If you're really eager, really enthusiastic to go about and do something, you're, like, you're just pumped up. You're ready to go. You're just ready to put everything into it. I, I don't know what I want to do, but I'm going to get into this thing. Let's just go. And you're not really directed anywhere. It can sometimes be a little dangerous, a little frustrating. Dangerous in the fact that you might be put into some situations where you're just not ready for it. And you might be, you know, looking kind of silly at the end. And maybe hurting some people in the process. And frustrating because you're like, oh man, I really thought I was supposed to be doing this. And I was excited and ready to go to do this. But it's like I'm hitting a brick wall. Similar to solve Tarsus. I mean, you remember when he got knocked off the horse, Jesus told him that you're going to be my instrument before the Gentiles, to bring the word, the gospel before the Gentiles. Like that was kind of his job. He was sort of ordained for that. The people that were not Jewish. Right? The church has been, right, we read and as Acts so far started in Jerusalem. It was in Samaria, where it was even kind of like a half breed of Jewish people. But now we're getting into this situation where the church is trying to spread to everybody else, like, you know, us. Everybody else is trying to get to, just not the pure Hebrew people. 
And so Saul Tarsus is the guy for that job. He was the guy for the job. But what did he do? Right away, we read that he went right into the synagogue and trying to tell everybody, all the Jewish people, and explain to them how he was the Messiah. It was good or bad, you know, got him some experience talking about it and reasoning with people, but it wasn't really successful. Like I said, it was like a revolt or a riot, and it just kind of hit some blocks. And eventually he said, just get out of here and take some time off for a while. So he needed that training. So eagerness, and without preparation, just having zeal and enthusiasm to do something is definitely part of the battle. Sometimes it's hard enough just to get that. But ideally, you want to match that right, with some education, with some knowledge, uh, with some preparation going into it so you can really be used. And we can see that through Saul of Tarsus. He just jumped into something, didn't really think about all the dynamics really possibly involved, and hurt him a little bit. And we're going to see later on that once he understood his mission was to really go to the Gentiles and talk with them, and stuff just kind of went right in line for him. Not necessarily smooth, because he did have a rough road. I mean, he was beaten, he was stoned, it was rough. But he was operating right within where God wanted him to be. The last thing we kind of see from it was that preparation from God can easily be misinterpreted. I think about my own life when I say something like this. Preparation from God can easily be misinterpreted. The preparation stages for Saul of Tarsus that we saw is that he took off to a desert for a few years. Not a whole lot going on in the desert, right? Let's be honest. Then he goes up to Tarsus for 10 years, like 10 years. I get kind of frustrated sometimes when I feel like God's leading me to do something. And honestly, within a few months of hard work, I'm like, all right, what's going on? Like, I'm really looking. A few months, 10 years. Add it all together, 13. I mean, and so sometimes depending on the person, you can take that as, oh, no, wait, like, did God really want me to do this? Did he ask me to do this? Am I supposed to be moving in this direction? Is God even real at this point? And so then it becomes like some doubt, then bitter can creep into the scene. And really, this was part of the plan to begin with because he's just trying to prepare us and train us for what's coming down the road. And so, and he knows that and he understands that because he loves us and cares about us taking advantage of those times and seeing them as, you know, preparation and training times. Incredibly, incredibly valuable. I can certainly look back and remember at time periods in life where it's like, man, my quiet times with God and reading the Bible and praying to Him, it just, I don't know. It's not feeling real rich and real alive to me right now. It's just really not. I feel like I'm just kind of doing it just because I know that I should. Uh, and, and as I look around, it doesn't seem like I'm really being used really in, in, in uh, anything really significant. I can certainly look back and see times like that uh, in my life. And then usually at those times, I can look back afterwards, and usually at some point after that kind of period, some event, some uh, situation will come forward where it's like a lot of the things that I was thinking about and reading about there and praying with God about, and I really thought nothing was really going on. I mean, he was just prepping me, you know, for a moment to just sit down and talk with somebody that was just a situation, you know, I just had no idea about, or it just happened to be maybe some book that I was reading about maybe before that maybe I could help some, impart something. Or maybe my schedule had just changed in some way where now I'm able to, like, be freed up to do something and serve in some way. And then I can also look back during those times and be like being bitter at God, being doubtful, and just being like, is this whole thing like even 
is this even legit right now? Like, I don't know. It seems like I don't know what's going on right now. You know, where's the love and the peace that all, all that that God promised? I don't know. It's the training time. And sometimes, you know, he just does that. And it's incredibly valuable. And to stay faithful and committed in those times is going to produce an abundance of harvest later on, an abundance of harvest. So I can see, just in my own life, just misinterpreting what's really going on. The next point that we can kind of see is that, uh, you know, identifying areas that need preparation, that will also help us with our priorities in life. Like, if you can see, like, areas in your life that you need to, like, be planned about and prep for, that will help with priorities. Like, I, I don't know about you, but a lot of my friends, just sometimes, they just kind of max out their schedules or they have nothing to do. There just seems to be, like, no balance, really. And I get into a lot of conversations where it's just like, man, just priorities are just... And, and me and my wife struggle with that now. And then, you know, now a little bambino, bambino will be coming on the scene and our priorities are going to change again. And so, you know, I'm trying to prep for that. But the way we're going to form our priorities is going to be based on you know, looking and evaluating our life to see what do we have to prepare for, you know, right now. Like, what's really needed and really important? What do we have to focus on? Um, so now maybe, you know, we're going to watch a little bit less March Madness and do a little bit more, uh, you know, reading of what to expect when you're expecting. Like, you know, and we'll get some more quality painting time in the guest bedroom and get that thing ready to go now. You know, things just changed all of a sudden. Uh, but it's going to help with priorities. Uh, and, and it'll help us to focus in on things that we could be taking advantage of right now so that we don't get into the heat of the situation. We're like, ah, you know, and going crazy. Going crazy, shuffling around. And I think probably, uh, you know, the last thing we can look at here is that preparation is going to build confidence and it builds comfort. That's the thing I like about it. Proper preparation, proper training, getting yourself in the right position. It's so nice to go back and be like, yes, you know, I'm ready for this opportunity, ready for this situation. Because I've put in the time, you know, on the back end, and now I'm ready for this thing. And you can go forth and you're not worried when you're in the middle of it. You know that you've had that time with God, you've spent the time with the right people, you've tried to do everything that you can to put yourself in this situation. And that's something that's definitely, definitely helps a lot. Any time in life where you can minimize stress and bring some comfort and confidence to a situation is always, always helpful. And so I think one thing that's just that needs to be said kind of at the end of this stuff is all the planning in the world and preparation still just doesn't account for things that are unexplainable and accidents and, and things that just do happen. Um, and planning and preparation is good, but there are some people that I know, and you probably know them too, they plan and they prepare to plan and prepare for the next planning and preparing. And so they like always have like these formulated plans, they prepare, and it's just like, oh my, they never do anything. Like at some point you got to do something and actually put that stuff into action. And then there's the other set that's like, oh, forget the planning thing, let's go get it. You know, so we saw those ones with the enthusiasm stuff, but, you know, there has to be some middle ground in there. There has to be some balance in that stuff. And I know, I know personally, like, sometimes I kind of like to be in the fire, just flying by the seat of my pants. Sometimes I like, because it just, like, kind of makes you rise to the occasion. You need a little bit of pressure on, kind of squeezes it out of you. Uh, but I can certainly look back and see other times where I'm like, that was just stupid. I could have prepared for that, and I could have saved myself a lot of heartache and grief and could have just done a lot better. 
And I think it's something uh, that's... Uh, I also think as I look at this stuff, that God must really love those preparation and training times like with us. Because that's really like a one-on-one type intimate time that you get to have with God where he's just working on you and you're just looking at things and it's just... He must love those times. You know, he must love those times. So Saul of Tarsus, you know, he would never be St. Paul the way we know him unless he didn't go out in that desert for a few years, head off to Tarsus for another 10 years. Who, who knows what would happen with him? Who knows? Maybe God would have somebody else that he could have worked with and that he could have trained. So let's, uh, let's stand and, uh, and we'll close in prayer. So God, we just uh, we come before you, and the one thing I don't know a lot of times that's difficult about preparing and training and letting you do that is just the discipline sometimes that comes along with that. And so we just pray that you'd help us to do that and help us to really evaluate our lives to see where we're at and what might be coming down the road, you know, so we could possibly do better and help out and uh, and not make the, di- the situation more difficult than it has to be. Help apply some wisdom to the process. And God, we just, uh, you know, we come before you and ask for forgiveness uh, for the times where you're really trying to work on us and um, refine us. And we just maybe brought a lot of doubt and bitterness to the situation and just questioned a lot. And so we pray that when you're preparing us and training us, that you give us the faith. Give us the faith, God. Um, for the expectation and anticipation of what you're going to do. Give us the faith that you're in the middle of it and that you're going to be faithful uh, to what you say and that you really are in control and that you know what you're doing. And we just uh, also pray for whatever situations you put us in in life, uh, that your spirit would just give us wisdom and, and guide us. And we thank you for an example of a man like Saul of Tarsus who took his own initiative and just headed out and needed and knew he needed to have time with you. He needed to have time to get himself ready and to prepare himself. And God, there's so many times in life where we just need to have time with you. Um, you know, to be parents, to be grandparents, uh, to be faithful, you know, family members. You know, we need to have your spirit guiding us in everything that we do. And so, God, we thank you for this time. Help us to go out this week, God, and um, evaluate our lives. And you could guide us in the directions of uh, where you might be preparing us and training us for whatever is coming down the road. And in Jesus' name, amen.